This show was brought to you by Ouch My Ego. OuchMyEgo.com Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the show. You're back, I'm back, and Mike Delaney is back for the first time ever. Mike Delaney, how are you? I am well, thank you. Back again for the first time. Yes, that's a thing, you know. You can do that. I don't know how you can do that, but you especially can do that. Well, you go from the back to the middle and around again. Yeah, okay. I'm going to be there till Is that a quote? Are you quoting a song? 100% pure love. What, who is that by? 100%? Uh, what, who did that? Cri- Crystal Waters, maybe? It's like a 90s dance. Yeah, yeah, see, I wouldn't. See, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't know that. Old hip hop for me, uh-huh. and then uh, shoegaze. <laughs> it's like a really weird jump. So it's old hip hop, and then shoegaze, and weird stuff like that. Maybe some industrial. So. Yeah, anyway. Shoegaze, is that like when two right shoes get together and two left shoes get together? I don't know what shoegaze is. That's hilarious. Isn't that shoegaze? It's gaze, like gazing into oh. your, each other's eyes. Oh, like so gaze Like yes. he's married to Beyonce? Gaze-y? <laughs> gaze. Mm. Not, uh. oh, like, uh, oh, like to like view upon, to gaze upon. I got it. Yes, yes, right, gaze upon, gaze. yes. So you're like looking at shoes. You're like a, a shoe-phobe, a shoe-ophile. Yeah. Hey, uh. Is the D for derail? No, <laughs> in your but, name, no, Mike. No, D let me ask you this though, derail? because the word ped, <laughs> the word ped means like foot, right? Like when you talk about uh, ped, yeah, or pod, ped, pod. So why isn't a pedophile someone who just likes feet or like shoes? Holy moly, dude! Well, hold on for that. Okay, <laughs> we're gonna talk a little bit about that later. Oh, that is maybe, true. That is I true. Think, you are maybe. right. <laughs> so hold on. Whoa. Heavy topic. Okay, let's uh, let's first shift back to you. The attention is on you now, sir. You are a school teacher, mm-hmm. a podcaster, uh-huh. and a film actor as well as maker. Yes. Is this not true? It, it well, it's it's very much true. And in that order, and in like right. any order that you would have said it, that's uh, that's how I identify. It's like teacher. Uh, what was the second? Oh, podcaster, filmmaker. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So you have a film coming out. Yeah, on Amazon Prime. It'll it'll drop on Prime. It'll be streaming. I can't uh, say for sure if it's going to be streaming more places than Prime just yet. But yeah, end of July, there's going to be a film I made with my little band of merry filmmakers out here in the East Bay area in California called uh, Medius Res. Medius Res. Yeah. Now, I saw this movie, uh-huh. and, but I saw a rough cut of it. I did not see the final cut. But there is one scene in particular that I really love. It's a dude snooping around this little apartment area. Uh-huh. Like, it's got, like, the perfect lighting. It's got, like, this film noir sort of shadow work uh, with the uh, Venetian blinds and stuff. It's, like, really dope scene. I, I appreciated that one. The rest of the movie sucked. But <laughs> yeah. it was an incomplete movie. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm joking about the sucking part. No, I, I, I know you are, but I, I do love that you called out that one scene, because that is one of my favorite things, too. And obviously, when you watch a movie, you know, we're going to talk about a movie later. When you watch a movie, you're not yeah. clear on, like, when certain scenes were shot. That was actually a scene we shot, like, very early on, because we knew there was, like, a simple oh, yeah? little dolly move we wanted to do, and we built our dolly out of, like, PVC pipe. Again, we're going to talk about pipes today, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. And we knew that we had this one dolly move we wanted to do and this would be like a simple thing to kind of test it on so yeah that was like one of the first shots we did we kind of yeah we designed the movie around do we know how to do that thing yet what shots can we practice that on so well that was that was it i was like whoa like really friend of the show lb my wife she can attest that i was like super impressed by that scene and i was just like holy crap that one that scene is neat. Yeah. So. That, oh, that's great, man. Thank you. That's sort of a... I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen blind spotting. But would you say that it's akin to blind spotting? Well, it's funny you bring up blind spotting because <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll send this to you and you could post it or something. But the star of blind spotting, the guy who co-wrote it, David Diggs from Hamilton, him and I knew each other years back out here in the Bay Area. And we actually have a video that we did together, a short film, like a sketch. And you could uh, you could share that out. I wouldn't say it's like akin to blind spotting because blind spotting is very much significantly more optimistic than the dark comedy that that we made blind yeah blind spotting is definitely a reflection of like 2018 like now in the in the bay area and especially around uh, certain racial issues we don't deal with a lot of the racial issues of living in the bay area in, in our film because we do this like stylized noir thing but we do deal with yeah. like 
the drugs and the intersectionality and stuff like that. All right. I have you on this show. Your show, your your actual show, your Splathouse podcast kind of does stuff that I do, sort of, sometimes. You dig into the weirder, stranger cinema. Not all the time, but sometimes. Like, yeah. you guys at one point did do Ice Pirates. Mm-hmm. I did Ice Pirates. And so, like, sometimes we intersect as far as... Uh, as the type of movies that we talk about. Now, this one, well, what did we just watch? We watched Meet the Hollowheads, or or, AKA Life on the Edge. Henry Hollowhead is a daddy dude, working all shift just to pump him the food. United Umbilical is where he works, the best meter reader this part of Earth. The Hollowheads, an average tubular family. They've pumped along happily for years until... Yes, dear, dinner. But, but you'll never guess who. My new boss. My promotion is just around the bend. Oh, Henry, that's wonderful news. After this shift. Oh, honey. Miriam, honey, we're home. Delightful domicile, Hollowhead. The day Henry Hollowhead's boss came to dinner, the waste really got ducted through the vent spot. Don't think of me as your husband's boss. Think of me as a very close friend. I'm just going to a party with some of my friends. Mm. When the boys get a look at you, they're going to trip over their own tubes. From flowing along in the slow hose, the hollow heads have been charge-piped into life on the edge. (laughs) My boss is lying there on our kitchen floor. Do you know what this means? It means I don't get my promotion. He has to okay it. Life on the edge. You've never been anywhere quite like it. It's a different world. That's true, dear. Now it just sucks by itself. Now, have you ever heard of Life on the Edge? Meet the Hollowheads? Have you ever heard of it? Uh, There was... You know, when you proposed this to me... I forget exactly what I said, but you proposed this movie to me, and then I was like, oh, is that the one with Christina Applegate? What's the one with Christina Applegate that's like, meet the... Meet the Applegates. Oh, wait, is that what I'm thinking, is meet the Applegates? Yeah. It's not Christina Applegate. You're thinking, it's not Christina Applegate, but that's what it's called, meet the Applegates, and it's about a bunch of cockroaches. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that that might, might be what I was, yeah, thinking when you uh, proposed this. Ed Bigley Jr. is the patriarch of the family, and they are sort of shape-shifting cockroaches that come from Brazil or the rainforest down there after they are being destroyed. Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. They come yeah. to get revenge. Yeah, that's what I remember from like... They end up kind of loving the suburban lifestyle, (laughs) and so they kind of want to stay instead of get revenge Uh or whatever. So uh, I I did, and I have maybe wanted to cover that one, but that seems like it might be a Splathouse show more appropriately. Maybe. I Um, I don't... I probably saw that film one time. It's early 90s, too. In the early 90s on like USA Up All Night or something. But that's what I thought you were talking about when you said meet the Hollowheads. But I, I will say... What I got was I, I've never I've never seen a frame of this movie in my life, and that that kind of surprises okay. me because <laughs> I would have been. That's awesome because that's actually what I want. They when I have my regular co-hosts LB and John, I want them to have either never seen it or have maybe seen it ten years ago, five if I'm being generous. But the ideal is for somebody to have never have seen it, and I've seen this. A couple of times before. Now I've seen it actually a bunch for this show. But you've never seen it? That's ideal. Yeah, I've never seen it. It reminded me of things that I, I do enjoy. Uh, some some of those things I enjoy a little bit more. Some of those things I enjoy a little bit less. But it's a very specific type of movie from a very <laughs> specific time, for sure. Yeah, so why don't you break it down? The uh, Well, give the synopsis, then we'll break it down. Okay. Well, ha, okay. So I guess we could call it, there's this dystopian, almost plumber society civilization that lives in complete darkness that deals with a lot of, we'll say, um, there's there's a lot of piping issues in this society. There's a lot of uh, gas issues in this society, a lot of waste, tubular things, a lot of tentacles, very phallic <laughs> imagery. But it's a snapshot of a family, a very suburban family, almost. It, it's that 80s thing where 
where they're hearkening back to the 50s uh, style of the nuclear family. Yeah. Like, it's a snapshot of that family in a guess who's coming to dinner type scenario where it almost plays out like a uh, like a stage play. If someone were clever enough to do the uh, production design for, for this, you could ostensibly do it on a stage. It's, it's a very, you know, contained uh, story. But there's a lot going on. It sounds very simple, but yeah, I guess at the core... It is a, a guess who's coming to dinner type story. A simple three act, preparing for the dinner, the dinner itself, and then the fallout from all the uh, the farce that has been set up. Right. Now, when you say stage play, I can actually see it as a stage play. And you also, with your Splathouse folk, <laughs> yeah. do stage plays. Yeah. So I, I, I would might say, propose this one to Get Sarah. to adapt I might, I might run this by Sarah. Because one, one thing I would want to fix is some of the, the musical interludes. But, uh, right. Yeah. So John Glover is Henry Hollowhead. Nancy Met Meat is Miriam Hollowhead. Richard Portnow is Mr. Crabneck, the boss of Henry Hollowhead. Juliet Lewis, Cindy Hollowhead. Matt Shackman is her little brother. Billy Lightfield Lewis is Juliet Lewis's brother in real life, and he also plays her older brother, Bud. And Joshua John Miller as Joey, and Joshua John Miller is playing Joshua John Miller, as he always does. And for a second, not even a second, for my uneducated, uninitiated mind, as I watched Joshua John Miller's back of the day, I just kind of found him annoying. But also on this show, if you want to go back, you can hear me be in pain and torture during the podcast that we did of Teen Witch. But he's the standout in Teen Witch. He's my saving grace. Uh-huh, the so annoying for... brother. <laughs> yeah, but he's my saving grace. Uh-huh. I cannot stand that movie except for him. Up until that point, I was always just like, he's kind of annoying. Eh. You know, even in great things like the vampire movie, Near Dark, I'm just like, eh, right? But now, after I've seen and been through that pain of Teen Witch, I'm like, Joshua John Miller, yeah. <laughs> like, anything I see him in now, at that age, when he's a, a young teen or early teen i'm like yes bring it on yeah he's gonna fix this movie at least the scenes that he's in he's gonna fix it right and he does mostly so you know besides uh, besides that. cleaning up tail at lakers games with toby mcguire and leo dicaprio i think the the best performance of joshua john miller though has to be uh class in 1999 i have yet to see that oh, I, treat- well maybe i have seen it on cable you know treat yourself i probably have there's been a lot of stuff that i have seen on uh, cable, and some of it I just forget, so that's probably one of them. But the two boys in this, Billy and Joey, they just want to goof off and have fun with this game that they got. What is it? It's a splat. (laughs) What is it called? Well, it's super... Look, the name is like, I don't know, Splatterino or something like that, but it's... Splat Spray. Splat Spray. It's a Splat Spray. There you go. But it's this very simple, but it seems so bulky and like cumbersome to have to store it and move it out, but it's... (laughs) It's basically like, what do they call that thing? The the wheel on uh, The Price is Right. Like, they spin this big wheel, or I guess it, it has a mechanism in it that spins. And then they just, like, slingshot these little cockroach things that are killing the dog or well, something. Well, first, first they have, like, these little goober paint slop pellets. Uh, <laughs> this actually seems to be, like, there is a yuck market. There's a disgusting slime market for kids, even to this day. Yep. And this seems to be pulled from that right when that was starting. Oh, sure sure in the 80s like nickelodeon double dare it predates that even so like uh, the kind of game that it is like there's a water gun but it's slime that was a product there was like (laughs) what do you call the new water and ooze blast and oozinator oh yeah and of course, awesome. the new Oozinator Blaster from Super Soaker. Major pumpkin required. Refill sold separately. And it's like just slime, you know? Mm-hmm. People, That's people what this pay is good money from. to go to parties where they could be you know doused in slime yeah, that's gross i don't wanna <laughs> i don't wanna so this is a really gross game but it's just slime pellets that they play with but then they run out of slime pellets and they go get the family dog here's spike joy my mom doesn't want him in here he's infested i hope you weren't thinking of letting spike in because he needs a good deep penetration which is actually played by a dog but you wouldn't know it to look at it no you wouldn't wouldn't you just describe the dog uh, it, it, go for it the dog looks like uh, a very svelte like wilford brimley that huh that's i think yeah svelte you're saying he lost weight okay <laughs> yeah, super he lost weight super and, he had, and he shaved uh-huh and he shaved yeah like <laughs> they shaved wilford 
Brimley. He lost a lot of weight, and he's a quadruped that's shaped like a dog. <laughs> well, it is the dog. It's the director Thomas R. Berman's dog. It's a Queensland healer. It's sort of like an Australian cattle dog. And they, it actually fit, and he was a cool dog about it. It only overheated once, where they're like, oh, crap, we, we got to clean out the, the suit because he peed in it or something but it's a really strange looking it's got a human face it's very uh what is it uh do you remember yes you do right uh invasion of the body snatchers 78 oh for sure yeah the phil kaufman one yeah where at the end they just like just throw a mask on the dog and let the dog run oh yeah it reminds me of that well Um, the um have you ever seen this uh this film from the early 70s it's an alan alda movie called the mephisto waltz no uh they they actually put so this predates John Carpenter's Halloween, but they actually put the Captain Kirk Star Trek mask on dogs and let them run loose in kind of this bougie, kind of eyes wide shut type party. It's like a, to go back to our off air conversation, it's kind of like a satanic panic like type party. (laughs) Like they're, they're worshiping the occult or something. But, all right. But the The, the dog with the human face. There's something wrong with them. (laughs) So it's satanic, of course. Okay. The the dog with the, the the human face reminds me of that. Okay. So there's at least three movies with dogs with human heads, and th- this is the last of them, I think. Well, until uh, uh, it, it, well, then the the artist Dave McKean he kind of gets into designing things in his artwork that, yeah. that looks like this creature. It, it, yeah, it does. So, it reminds me of like Dave McKean meets like a grotesque like Tim Burton idea. Well, this movie actually has a lot of that earmark that Tim Burton has, and set wise, I think that. So I tweeted. This is a Jetsons meets Eraserhead by way of Pee-wee's Playhouse. Yes. Oh, well, I, I 100% agree with Pee-wee's Playhouse. I mean, there's no denying that with, like, the even the, the soundscape with, like, the... Yeah, yeah, the, all that intro music, yeah. Right. But the tube industrial nature of it is very Eraserhead to me. Mm-hmm. And the type of family aesthetic that they have is very Jetsons. And... What they actually said, I've been reading the behind the scenes journal from the writer, Lisa Morton. You can find that at lisamorton.com about the making of the film. And she said at one point to somebody who inquired what they were doing, it's father knows best meets a racer head. And I was like, whoa, okay. So I'm a lot younger than them. So my frame of reference is Jetsons. It's not father knows best, but I'm on when I describe this. I'm like right there. And her contemporaries, as you say, Tim Burton doing Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice, and they all pull from the Atomic Ranch aesthetic, which is really what's going on here, this sort of 50s Adam Age science fiction sort of thing. I think this might be a, a counterpart to Brazil if you think Oh no, about very it. very much so especially with like all the talk of cleaning the ducts, like uh, Bob Hoskins and Robert De Niro in Brazil. <laughs> they had a job not dissimilar from a lot of the uh, tertiary characters in, in this one. Yeah, so as you said, it's a story of guess who's coming to dinner but the guest is the boss. Right. And he is the perfect example of a misogynist. Toxic masculinity, I suppose, if you want to use the current vernacular. He is that example. He's constantly in competition with Henry Hollowhead, even though he's his boss. He doesn't need to be in competition. Why, you're more of a man than I took you for, Henry. He's constantly hitting on Henry Hollowhead's wife. I would do just about anything to have a woman like you, Miriam. And daughter? Now you must call me Marty. Oh, my big girls call me Marty. Oh, yeah, 14-year-old daughter. 14-year-old, and she is literally 14-year-old. Yes, they, they establish the her age every so. time she walks in the room. They're like, you know, hello, daughter, who is 14 years old. And it's Juliet Lewis, and she's always wearing super skin-tight outfits. Well, not always, but most of the time. And playing that, I guess, in a kind of Lolita sort of way, but, like, ignorant. She doesn't really know what's going on about her sexuality yet but she knows that she wants to know <laughs> so there's a scene where she asks for her mother's what's it called the <laughs> it's something cream the uh softening cream softening lotion it's it's something like that softening gel softening gel that's what it that's is it. final answer what is softening gel they don't say what it is but the mother is like oh it's under the ca- oh wait a minute she goes and talks to her daughter about it Can- cindy what did you want with the softening jelly dear What all women want with it, Mother. Don't you think you're a little too young to be using softening jelly? Mom, I'm 14. Connie's been using it since she was 12. 
And if Connie wanted to jump off the edge, would you, too? It's always vague answers about what the use of the softening gel is. But but that happens, like, throughout much of the... Not just around softening gel, but throughout, like, other, like, jargonish things from this universe that are brought up. Where they kind of talk around it or make a joke about it, are scared of it. But they don't really tell the audience what it is and we're kind of, like, left to our own conclusion. Let me say... Well, those were notes... Those were notes given by Nancy Met, by the way. She contributed that to the script. She was like, how about we just use references to ducts and, and piping and this and that in our dialogue. So here's what I thought the entire time. Okay, again, I've never seen this movie before. I just relinquished myself to it. I just watched it completely with an open mind. Enjoyed, like, I would just, well, you know me, Andrew. Like, I like all movies. So, like, of course I like this movie. Yeah, every movie's a miracle. <laughs> this but this the, one, but, I, I but Andrew, this movie this is, is a miracle. miracle because here's what I think this movie is. I think this movie is about a suburban family that lives in the digestive system. They themselves are, like, little pieces of poop that are, like, surrounded by these other pieces of poop. I think this this is a movie about like the digestive system and the and the the waste that like has to live together and because they're talking about piping and tubes and gases and feeding tubes and like you took something from the oh and the edge Andrew the edge and what I thought the edge was what is the edge I really thought this was building up to like them getting pushed out of the edge and they fall down 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 and then they hit water and then like the big joke was going to be ah, that huh. you know that they're they're poop. Yeah. And the edge is a beehole. Yeah. But there's there's uh, so much of that like ha- look, I would challenge anybody to watch this movie with that little theory in mind and then just tell me I'm completely crazy cuz I don't think I'm super crazy cuz they keep talking about these pipes and tubes and like lubes and this and that and that's what I think softening gel is. And they talk about, oh, oh, at the end with Bobcat. But he goes by Jack Cheese, I think, in the credits. But Yeah, he goes by Jack Cheese. You're right. <laughs> but- That's hilarious. So Thomas Berman worked on Scrooged, and they had finished just before they started on pre-production of this movie so thomas knew bobcat from that movie yeah it, well it seems that that's how they got him it seems that berman like collected a lot of people that way like this is ann ramsey's last film and he had done makeup yeah, on, and her uh, husband devito's throw mama from the train yeah and her husband's in the, in right. the film. i don't want to get too distracted but it's also kind of my thing but um Anne Ramsey, she died at fifty nine. <laughs> the wait, you, Anne Ramsey, she was wasn't older than that. Fifty nine when she died. She she was never older than fifty nine years old. Okay, Brad Pitt is fifty five. So think of Anne Ramsey, the Goonies, throw Mama from the train. Yeah, she was fifty nine. But she had throat cancer, so this is why she got garbled in her later years. But yeah, but Peter Jennings but, had like throat cancer, or lung cancer. You know? Wow. You know, Anne Ramsey was yeah. that young. That's crazy. Paul Rubens is five years older than Anne Ramsey ever was. Yeah, and he just kind of barely looks it. Huh. Wait, you're saying Paul Rubens kind of barely? Like, that dude, he doesn't kind of barely. He's kind of like forever young. He, uh-huh, yeah. Kind of. Anyway. I mean, he shows a little bit of age is what I'm saying. <laughs> but, but, but going back to it, that Bobcat scene at the end where him and um, the Keystone Cops show up. And they're, they're talking and about... Donovan Scott, yeah. The, they're like the... The butt something. Like, they talk about... Butt polish. Butt polish. He's all hopped up on the butt polish. Butt polish. It's like so, so much derriere, like, joke and imagery going on. I'm like, they're going to get pushed over the edge. And the joke is that they fall in water. (laughs) And then the camera zooms out. And it's like Men in Black style or, like, you know, Planet of the Apes. And then you're like, oh, that's the the twist. But it it wasn't. They just live in the poopy world. Uh, Yeah, it's really grimy and it's really gross. The other thing that they keep referencing is she keeps referencing and mentioning stuff about David Lynch in her notes. She mentions a lot of not just Eraserhead, but Blue Velvet. Mm-hmm. That this she was hoping, and then she she went and made a footnote, and like her footnote was literally just a bunch of laughter, like ha 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 ha, because she's like, once we complete this film, we hope to get critical acclaim akin to Blue Velvet. Maybe not financial success, but because it's such a strange film, but that people will really respond to it critically. 
And at the in her footnote was just a bunch of laughter. That's funny. <laughs> well, even at the time, yeah. but Blue Velvet was pretty split when it came out, right? As far as the critical reception, because I remember Siskel and Ebert did like a scathing piece on the depiction of sexuality in that movie, and I'm pretty sure a lot of critics fell in line with that. Well, here, let's get to the depiction of sexuality here. Juliet Lewis being Cindy, the 14-year-old, is a burgeoning young woman and she wants to go to a party and actually hook up with some other guy but she wants to she has to go with some milk toast dude oliver digits that's it oliver digits hello mr hollowhead what's humping he's not even an actor he's he's part of their crew and he's just really dopey looking and so they had him act and it worked he's really dorky she doesn't want that guy exactly she wants some other guy and that's the original script was actually going to follow them to the party and you're going to see the party and then they excise that because you always got to cut stuff out of your movie you do before you, have to, you even make the movie you, you know you got to kill your babies kill your darlings that's what they say kill your darlings andrew <laughs> i've only made one sort of film and it was a short and it was a Blair Witch inspired zombie movie got broke down on the side of the road one friend has a camera running because he's obsessed with it by the way that is a true story my friend Ron had a camera and he was always running it when he got it so that concept in those movies is kind of accurate where are you filming because I wanna you know we're being chased by zombies don't matter (laughs) (laughs) so I shot that thing that thing never got completely edited. Our editor was a student of an editing program, and she was working on it. And her instructor was like, that's really good. Uh, who did this? You can enter it into some competition. And she's like, well, it's my boyfriend's work. It's not mine. I'm actually just doing this off the clock. You know what I mean? And he's like, oh, uh... Well, she left it on the hard drive, incomplete, and then that hard drive was wiped. And the tape was stolen from her house from by her brother and it was in the camera and he pawned the camera and they couldn't get it back so my film was lost somebody bought that and they're like what is this i hope they're mortified actually I hope they think it's real that's amazing though so <laughs> andrew what that means is you have a lost film out there so like intervision an imprint of severin films they do like the sov releasing on dvd they're gonna find that at some goodwill or at some thrift town or i, d- I don't know some flea market and they're gonna discover it they're gonna be like this is brilliant because you know andrew i don't know if you're on the internet are you on the internet i i am sometimes on the you're internet sometimes you on the internet on twitter well, at jimetsko.com <laughs> Not dot anything. Anyway, go. <laughs> well, on the internet, one thing that you learn if you're on it is if you have a movie that no one's ever heard of, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So your movie is about to be garbage. <laughs> yeah. No, this is a good point, Andrew. Hmm. <laughs> because I find hollow heads to be brilliant, like you, you say. But not a lot of people know about hollow heads. This is what I did with my friends. I would always find the weird movie and I would share it with them. And they would be like, okay, what do you got this week? And that's why I started podcasting so I could share stuff with people. And this movie is brilliant. And I don't know, maybe let's backtrack a little bit because there's a couple things I want to say that, first of all, I don't think that, you know, well, there's that old expression like, um, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Like there's no way we can describe what a movie is on a podcast. And I say that as someone who like podcasts about movies. Like you just, you you kind of have to sift through some of the words that we're saying and decide if you're going to see the movie or not. And you should see the movie. It's on Prime. Yeah. It's on YouTube. You could find it. Well, it's not on Prime anymore. It's not free. No, it's I mean, like, if you it, have but Prime it's like 99 cents or something. Like, yeah, you, you can do that. Yeah. Skip the, the, the French fries. Go for the movie. Here's the problem. It's a same exact quality as the youtube one maybe just a little bit up but it's it's pulled from the same source which is vhs and it's a bad bad copy and i desperately want a good copy of this i desperately want a director that no that would that would be great this this really feels to me if we're getting into like boutique labels or something this feels like something that either arrow video should pursue and put out or something that scream factory might dump on like a double feature blu-ray but i don't think they do many of those anymore And, and that's what i wanted to get into is what this movie feels like because we can't describe exactly what it is but what it feels like and what it feels like to me is it feels like a combination of late cycle charles band empire pictures mixed with uh that those albert 
Poyan movies that he did for Canon or or Vestron Video. Like this this reminds me of like Radioactive Dreams. It reminds me of yes. Uh, it reminds me Terror of Vision. Alien from L.A. It reminds me of um, not even Al- Al- Albert Poyan, like Journey to the Center of the Earth when Canon was trying to get those out. But it has a very like you said, the father knows best kind of family dynamic. I almost thought it was Ozzy and Harriet. Did you ever watch that in reruns? No, I didn't. I was. Literally, I was like the monkeys. I was like uh, uh-huh. Mr. Ed uh-huh. and the old Batman, and that's my reruns. I didn't really watch sitcoms. I don't know why Mr. I loved Ozzy and Harriet as sitcom. much as I did, but I loved Ozzy and Harriet with like Ricky Nelson and anyway. But it reminds yeah. me of that. Okay. All that said, then what you do is you take that type of movie and you make it star John Glover, like one of my favorite. Now actors. John Glover previously he was like doing heavy roles right he was in 52 pickup just before this i haven't seen that yet but i saw the trailer for it and i was like holy crap this looks good so i'm about to see it but he was in that and he was this was in the notes that i was reading 52 pickup he played a, like a really sleazy guy and here is this the beginning of the john glover that we all grew up with that ended up being in all these quirky movies uh ed and his dead mother gremlins 2 that kind of john glover is that the beginning is this the beginning of that you know i would i would say so because i think directly before this i haven't looked up release dates i do all this <laughs> off the top of my head i don't have any any notes i'm sorry but i think directly before this uh, the movie he was in the big one would have been the chocolate war have you hmm. have you ever Okay. seen the chocolate war the adaptation of the robert Cremier no, novel no i haven't he d- dude he I... is like one of the most amazing actors his role in the chocolate war he plays this vindictive i i, I don't know if i call him a, a priest but yeah he's he's like a priest he's like a teacher at a all boys catholic school he teaches alongside bud court <laughs> but he he plays this vindictive priest that wants all the boys in the uh, the school to sell chocolate for him and this one boy jerry just decides he's not going to sell chocolate and father leon like basically six a gang of of christians on him and it you know it turns into this war of like hey oh it's beautiful it's wonderful it's super dark but i think that would have been his movie right before this and then this Hmm. is kind of like the golly g it's almost like when dc comics puts him in fun roles like the riddler in batman the animated series or like the the doctor in batman and robin where it's more theatrical over the top god no i love john glover so my experience with john glover started with Gremlins 2, which I uh, I adore Gremlins 2, and I love his Clamp character. And his Clamp character is like the anti-Trump, honestly. He's really quirky, but he's still out of it. But he's really kind and gentle, and he's fun, and he kind of listens to you, even though he's not listening to you, but he absolutely is, type of thing. Yeah. Let, and well, here it seems like this is the starting point for any of his other fun, quirky stuff. Sure. Including one of my favorite roles he did. The show's not very good, but man, was I a fan of it. Smallville, where he plays Lex Luthor's dad. <laughs> he was a main cast member. He yeah. played Lex Luthor's dad on like every episode. And like, I would tune in because I want to see John Glover every week for 45 minutes. That's how much I love him. You know who else loved John Yeah, Glover? you want to see him condescend Lex. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was just, he was so good at cutting down Lex and being like Clark would have been a much better son. <laughs> so, but uh, you know who else loved John Glover? Who does? Freddie Mercury. What? Yeah, John Glover is on the record as saying that he and Freddie... Well, John Glover is a very proud out gay man. He's been out since he was 21 years old. He's happily married with his partner since like the early 90s. But he always tells this story about how he slept with Freddie Mercury in the 70s at like the height of Queen. I I was always like, oh, Freddie Mercury is like the number one John Glover fan, or at least like ground zero for (laughs) the rest of us. Wow. (laughs) Okay. I didn't know any of that. Anyway, John Glover rules. Yeah, he's great. I love the way he acts. It's it's always fun. And here, he gets um, his masculinity, again, the thing about masculinity. His masculinity is constantly challenged by his boss. It's that whole, his boss goes on about rationalists. United Umbilical was not founded by a bunch of low-life, sludge-sucking, rat-reaming rationalists. And if they were to find out that... You lean even slightly in that direction. They'd cut your tubes off so fast, the only thing you could do is crawl into a two-line and flush yourself off the edge. And it's, it's, it's strange. Don't think for yourself. So the rationalist is an analog for who now? Is it libertarians? Think for yourself in all ways. And the company that the guy's running is not a rationalist company, so it's United Umbilical, by the way. 
everything has a re- weird, strange body part sound to it. Uh, United Umbilical, there's that tentacle that comes out of the wall that's food. There are those frogs that, by the way, those frogs that were moving are actual... They look like mutant frogs, but those are frogs in suits Yes, that they cast. Yeah, I was actually worried about that because, well, she stabs one, and I didn't go back and double check, but I'm, I'm pretty no, sure that the one she fake. stabbed That's was, like, fake. static, and the other two were, like, moving yeah. away. Yeah, but, um, yes, but, but you're correct. Here's... A, you know, you asked the question about what's it in analog for. I honestly think, again, going back to my digestive system, like poop theory, I think that Mr. Crabneck, he's like a fan of, well, he's obviously has power and he'd be like the dude who's like, I'm going to, I'm just going to give you the laxative. I'm going to give you the diuretic and you just get rid of everything that you don't want. And you like keep the things that you do want to, to go back to, well, there's a, there's the fight between them, uh, the, the verbal fight, where he's like, Look at me, Hollowhead. I've got it. That's why I'm the regional president of United Umbilical Housing Corporation. Uh, but, uh, Mr. Krabneck, United Umbilical has been run by a long line of Krabnecks. That's right. But, Hollowhead, you've insulted me. Don't accuse me of nepotism. I, I, I've got executive skills. I've got a take charge personality. Well, the way and he... then at the end of saying that, he says, I was born to float to the top. Right. <laughs> which undercuts his whole I earned it. But but there's uh, also a funny like funny. string of logic there where he's rationalizing nepotism <laughs> by saying that he was in the right place at the right time. Right. And yet he's he's anti-rationalist and his ex-wife, whom he killed, and it actually did you pick up that he actually killed his dad? No, uh-uh. He stops himself in mid-sentence, and he says... Now, I'm going to show you something my old man taught me before I... Before he, uh... Before he died. <laughs> or, you know, so he, he has a stutter where he, he almost admits to having him killed or something. And it's very subtle, and it's very quick, and I only picked it up, like, the fifth time I've seen the movie. Interesting. So, yeah, so there's that. And he sees the daughter, and he gets all randy for her, super, f- like, flirty. He snoops around the house. This is all Mr. Krabneck. He snoops around the house and, and finds their laundry and starts sniffing the, the women's panties. And then he full-on, in front of the son, the youngest son, and John Glover, Henry, so sexually assaults, pretty much, groping the wife. Like, this, by the way, was co-written, mostly written, by Lisa Morton, with a collaborative effort by Thomas R. Berman and, and other people with some input. But it's mostly her writing this, which I find to be interesting because growing up, I was in a very conservative environment, and women are not bad. Men are bad. Women don't have urges. Men do. Women don't have a sense of humor about stuff like dark stuff. Like when they cast Juliet Lewis, uh, Thomas R. Berman put his heads in his hand and he's like, I feel like I'm a child molester. Like, he was like, oh no, because she did that song or a song and dance for them to audition and then they cast her. She was like the very first person that they saw for that role. And they were like, she's perfect. And that's her. And she was perfect. I mean, that's a, that's a role she would have to play too from this point for like five years between like this and uh, I guess ending with natural born killers. Was there a uh, Juliet Lewis? What point did she play the other sister? Oh, that was like 97. After? 97, 98. Yeah, Yeah. that was was after. With the great Tom I like that. Just a side note with the other sister, somebody asked, how do you play such a challenging role? She said, it's pretend, which just shut down the interview. It was amazing. No, that that is amazing. just pretend. <laughs> the, the other thing that would shut down that interview is if her answer was because the Savage Garden song, Animal Song, is amazing. Do you remember Animal Song <laughs> from the other sister? No, oh. but it's Savage Garden and I, it makes me laugh. Uh-huh. So. <laughs> no, but Julia but, Lewis, yeah, with this yeah. and then with Cape Fear, famously, and then with Natural Okay, Born yes, Killers, like so Cape Fear. Yeah, she does the same sort of flirty thing in Cape Fear, but it's actually a lot more, even more innocent in Cape Fear. Here, she she seems to, when she leaves the house after first meeting the boss, she, like, is really already way flirty with him. You know, like, she does the Marilyn Monroe kiss as she leaves the house. Yes. At the boss, and her dad's standing right there. It's just super bizarre. I wonder what softening jelly does. Does it just get you all ready, ready? Dude, that's what it is. Softening jelly is a lax, it's like, it's like Spanish fly, you know? It's an (laughs) aphrodisiac. 
Like it like loosens you up. Huh. It softens your impulses to say no. Oh my God, she roofied herself. Oh, she had five pounds? Yeah. She took five pounds of roofie. Two pounds. I don't know how to tell you, sir. We found well over uh, two pounds of softening jelly on her. Two pounds of roofies. Yeah. They don't even show you what, how to use it. Nothing. They just show the bottle for a second and it's this weird bulbous thing. So there's that. And then uh, a side story sort of is how that you meet Anne Ramsey and her husband. Uh, you meet them because the kitchen doesn't work. I guess everything runs through pipes. So in this society, there's a pumping station that has all the foods in it. And her pipes are clogged, which... Also, my pipes are clogged. There's all kinds of euphemisms in the dialogue. Yes. Throughout this entire show. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. I well, I I apply it to like I said the digestive tract because I think that's where most of that imagery comes from. But yeah, there's well, like the dinner. That makes the dinner sense talk with my about, pipes are clogged. It sounds like uh, ejaculate. You know, like whatever. That's, that's <laughs> not a bad word. But that's that's what it sounds <laughs> like they're talking about. It's funny that you say it. <laughs> this is kind of a gross movie. Uh huh. No, it's super gross. <laughs> it's there's an eyeball tentacle creature that is in an aquarium and that is performed by lisa morton as well so she's kind of my hero now after learning about this movie behind the scenes and everything she's one of my film heroes i really dig her this all came from her mind which is what i was getting at with the content and being in my conservative environment that women don't at all have this come out of their brains this came out of her brain that's fantastic to me that's great i know it's naive to think that women don't think that way and i'm not there now but back in the day yeah there's only guys that made weird gross stuff yeah like when you're a boy and you meet the girl who's like into freddy krueger movies too or something you're like you too yeah it, it's kind of fun to think back to that but yeah yeah exactly now when i when I discovered this, it was just after I got married to LB. We were at a big lot and there was a dollar bin of DVD and there was this one horribly designed DVD and it had Juliet Lewis's head with the pink rollers on it and said, meet the hollow heads in this dumb font that doesn't really work for it. And I was like, I looked at the back of it and I read it. I saw like the cast and I was like, what do you think? It's like a buck. I'll get it. And then we watched it and... It's like one of the finds of the century for me, except I want an upgrade so bad. Yeah. But, like, I always wanted an upgrade on that thing because it's pulled from a bad VHS pull, you know? Have you seen a film from, it's a Canadian film, maybe 1982, 1983, called Big Meat Eater? Yeah, I, I know about it. I, I've seen at least the trailer for it. That's on youtube i've seen it sure recently even oh oh the the films on youtube or the like scenes or i think the uh, a main trailer for it is on youtube i might have seen the film man i want to i want to rewatch that one really bad but th this is a film that reminded me of the feeling i got watching like big meat eater to go you know to go alongside like radioactive dreams and also have you done radioactive dreams on this show not on this show, but on my original show, Video Night, yes. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Yeah, no, that, that movie's yeah. amazing. <laughs> I love Radioactive Dreams. This also seems like it belongs... I'm, I was putting together a program in my head of these movies that this fits with. And this fits with Eraserhead. This fits with Brazil. This fits with, I'm going to say, The Dark Backward. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, this is very Adam Rifkin. No, you're right. You're right. This is like that type of yeah. comic sense. Because I, I get that she said the thing about, well, she made the connection to, like, Blue Velvet, because that was, like, Lynch de jour at the time or whatever. Yeah. But Lynch has, like, gun to my head, I think Lynch is, like, one of the funniest filmmakers that we have that's living and, and still working. Like When I saw Mulholland Drive, at the end of it, there, there was a bunch of, like, 50-year-old hipster people watching the movie. The credits rolled. I laughed audibly. They all scowled at me. And I said, it's a joke. This whole movie's a joke. No, it's not bad. I like it. But it's a joke yeah. on us. No, he's he's amazing at constructing that joke. Like, just last night, on a whim, you know, I was trying to fall asleep, so I wanted to get my head in the right spot, like, going to my ASMR, listening to some David Lynch program or something. But I put on Twin Peaks The Return, and, uh, yeah. and I was about to fall asleep. I opened my eye, and it's one of those scenes where they have the peripheral characters that have nothing to do with any of the narratives, yeah. like, sitting at the Bang Bang Bar, and they're talking about drama we know nothing about 
out and like the music swells right. like we care about this shit. But then I noticed they were drinking Heineken and I was like, fucking David Lynch. And like, I couldn't go back to sleep because then I started thinking about, you know, Frank Booth's speech about Heineken and Blue Velvet. Heineken? That shit! Pops Blue Ribbon! And I'm like, he's just making fun of himself again. Yeah. But his comic sensibility is so high and like so red and so dark and so funny that like I get that lots of filmmakers want that but we can't I mean as creators not a lot of us could ever get that and like this movie is very sophomoric in its sense of humor comparatively oh like, right Lynch no, no does this body is the, humor stuff, this is but. the totally this story is so surface the story is really basic everybody can get the story we've already actually seen this story before in various forms but it's the setting where all the subversiveness comes from really i think how they play with the setting the eyeball tentacle creature they wanted to get rid of that and she's like no at that point where you reveal the eyeball tentacle creature the kid's already gonna have a leech having been taken off a, a black eye that he had it gets rid of the bruise it's this weird horrific scene of this leech sucking on his face and then there's the eye and nobody regards the eye it's just a family pet like a fish in a an aquarium except it's a an eye the family eye i'm posting lots of gifts i've been making gifts galore of this eyeball because it's one of my favorite things <laughs> in any movie no, actually so yeah no it reminds me of um in that jackie kong movie uh blood diner the the brain they have of their like armenian right. uncle yeah <laughs> it, you know it's it, it's very similar in that except this one's not telepathic it oh, doesn't right. tell it's, you to... it's just looking around it's all it is is there to react uh -huh. but the most lynchian stuff that happens in this is when the kids are walking to the pumping station to, to get the order correct for the food how it's edited they pass people and there's like these really strange fades on fades of the same character and it's in this darkness and it's really yeah eraser heady that entire sequence is very eraser heady very industrial yeah things i, I mean basically they're shooting it on an empty sound stage and that's how they achieved the the blackness yeah um and then you know they're shooting it like shallow but it was very like deep the set and that's how they got basically it's just these two boys walking and they're then you'll see illuminated just characters passing by everything else is completely dark yeah no that's super lynchian their lamp is actually a glow worm in a lamp and that you could hardly see in this version because it's so blurred out because it's a vhs that's been copied a copy 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 it sucks that it's Yeah, it's like very, that. very muddy. Let me ask you this. In the version you watched, was the entire Anne Ramsey sequence subtitled? Yeah, which is actually the only version that is out there has the subtitles. And it's not just the subtitles on her, because they knew that they were being jerks. Because right. this is how she spoke because of her, her cancer. They knew that they were being mm -hmm. jerks, so they subtitled everybody in that scene. So they subtitled the kids. E exactly. Like, right. And But they also did parentheticals, too. <laughs> like, describe describing what's happening on top of it yeah and they didn't do something with the sound to make it like you can't hear anybody so you need the subtitles <laughs> now you can hear everybody which would have been very lynchian yeah like the scene at in a fire walk with me where the entire club scene is just like yeah yeah speakers yeah. are blown out yeah. yeah it also reminded me too of um even though they're very much like this person i'm about to say even though they're speaking english and honestly i have bad hearing but i understood everything ann ramsey was saying but it reminds me of how they subtitle Ken Loach films. Is that is that the only English-speaking filmmaker where they subtitle his uh, his films, even though they're in English? No, they did that with uh, Train Spotting in America in the theater. What? <laughs> At one point, with yeah, because the, they're all oh, hard wow. Scottish, and they even like dulled the Scottish so like regular folk could understand it. But like, no. <laughs> yeah. What? I remember seeing When the Wind Shakes the Barley, the Cillian Murphy, Ken Loach film. And when that was released out here, I saw it in a theater in Berkeley and it was subtitled. And I was like, what is happening? Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> they, they, changed, they changed Mad Max from Australian to American, you know? They changed that with uh -huh. a dub. Australian's not that hard to understand, guys. It's just an accent. It's just an English accent. Anyway. But uh, this, uh, man, I love this movie. I want it to be fixed. This was taken away from them in post-production so you 
to get to the music. They had some songs, like I Feel Good About Myself. I actually kind of like that song. I've heard it a few times now since watching it a bunch. And that's the song that Juliet Lewis and her brother play. And that's a fun song. It's just a pop song. And I will not deny liking certain pop songs. This is just a nice pop song. It's not sung by her. Of course, when she auditioned, she could sing and they were impressed, but they didn't let her sing. But the beginning of the movie has a rap song that introduces the characters, even though they're not on screen. It just talks about them. And that was post-production BS. Why is there a rap theme to this? Well, it, well, it's a very... The other thing you should say is it's a very, like, trite elementary rap song. It's like, you know, when you're watching, like, Saved by the Bell. It's, it's called Dad the Rap. Teacher, the white teacher comes on. Yeah, and they're like, my name is Dad, and I'm here to say, I'm here to change your life in a major way. It's like that. It's like, they're the hollow heads, and they're kind of gross, but they're the family that you'll love the most. <laughs> I was paying attention to the, the rhyme of it, and it's a little better than the typical Dad Rap. But not by much. They just have a guy who can actually probably rap on his own. Now, I used to listen to Christian rap. There was this guy, Stephen Wiley, black guy even, uh, and he rapped like that. Uh-huh. My name is Stephen Wiley, and I'm rated highly, and I rap to a T, you know, like that. It's really, really <laughs> dorky dad rap. Everything's to the tune of, like, Sugar Hill Gang. <laughs> I'm tons of fun. <laughs> right. That's exactly I'm it. I'm dressed to a T. Yep. That's it. So why was the uh-huh. music in this like that? I like the... the uh, the peewee kind of music that set up the the world and then it cuts from that to the rap what what is this nonsense there's also a bit about the uh that's not got to do with any of the music it's it's got the grandfather in the basement and they have to feed him it's just a paraplegic and they take this big syringe this this how uh, i'm not going to say how the movie ends but it actually has to do with the grandfather as well it's really strange. I think the grandfather is the piece of gum that you swallowed that it, like, <laughs> lore tells you will never leave your body. <laughs> and and your, the rest of your system has to take care of it to account for it being there. <laughs> wow. All right. So what is Lee Ehrenberg is part of the uh, the Reamers. You tubal slime. You let him get away. He's the Reem instructor. And Okay. Wait. Say that are, name again and tell me this is not about butts. What 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 are they called? Reamer. <laughs> okay. How is this movie not about the butthole? <laughs> uh, I know. I know. <laughs> Having watched this a bunch, there's like there's so much fun dialogue that just it's like watching Dune, where you need a glossary for what's going on as far as who's who and where they are and what they're referencing. Oh my god, do you remember that? When Dune came out, they used, again, another David Lynch reference, but they used to hand out cards like explaining yeah. everything yeah. in the movie. Yeah, that's my point. This, <laughs> one, had to look down this one needs that. Be like, oh, Arrakis's. <laughs> all the slang and all the certain nouns that they use are all very singular to this world, which I love. So I, again, I knew nothing about the movie before I put it on. I'm like, oh, I'll watch it and I'll do my, you know, light research afterwards and i'll make my connections whatever but so it starts with that kind of eraser head like industrial whistle going that, like Flintstones. you know that yeah. type of thing and john glover calls home and he's like you know my boss is coming over for dinner and does this big title sequence with a little bit of like a peewee's playhouse aesthetic as far as the soundscape goes but then the rap song kicks in i'm like this is like a really bad tim burton movie oh um, and then when the name pops up and it says, what, what's the director's name again, Andrew? Tom. R. Berman. You thought it said Tim Burton. No. Of course I didn't think it said Tim Burton because <laughs> I know about Tim Burton. I mean, but what I thought was, oh my God, this is like the Tim and Eric version of a Tim Burton. You know, where they're like Tom Berman instead of saying Tim Burton. Yeah. It, it, like Tom Berman sounds like the fake version of Tim Burton. Right. So there's that. And then the other thing is. Because I misread it at one point. <laughs> With the rapey boss. Oh, yeah? Rapey boss looks like renowned sexual predator Matt Lauer. Look, I like Richard Portnow a lot, but he looks like Matt Lauer. Huh. Oh, and, Matt Lauer losing his hair? Nowadays, yeah, Matt Lauer losing his hair, yeah. Yeah. Look, look up Richard Portnow now. Portnow now. Portnow now. He looks like Matt Lauer. But um, no, Richard Portnow is uh, great in the film, even though he plays like a the you know, total piece dude. of shit. But he's, yeah. a, he's, he's a very... Everyone in this movie plays a piece of poop, according to 
my theory, by the way. But um, <laughs> but he's like, if you don't know him by name, like you'll see him and you'll go, oh, that guy. He's one of those that guy. Now, you know? the per- performance-wise, I think Nancy Met almost steals the show. The mother, Miriam mm-hmm. Hollowhead. I think she kind of steals the show from everybody, even though everybody is pretty good. Billy Hollowhead, Matt Shackman, he was 12 years old when he did this movie. He was way kid actor but it doesn't hurt the movie at all at first i thought the, it might the two bits of narration are a little hard to swallow i i don't know do you, you read the narrative about the making of it was the narration added in post or was that always scripted they did that in post they went back and forth if they should have a narration or not and i actually forgot that there was a narration as i was reading that so when i go back and see it yeah the narration is at the beginning and that's i'm, I'm a totally fan of post. narration like terrence malick style like where you have it either throughout the whole thing, you know? Yeah. But this is almost like the standby me model where you have a little bit of narration at the beginning, a little bit of narration at the end. I think that works for standby me because, you know, at the end they, you know, they cut to the code of, you know, Richard Dreyfus and what ended up happening or whatever. But yeah. like here, it's literally like, three sentences at the beginning, three sentences at the end, and they all sound like the first take. Yeah. I was a kid, (laughs) and my dad invited his boss over to work. It was wacky. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that's how it's performed. You could have been that kid. But you're right. The actor that played the mom, Nancy Miette. Yeah. Or, or there's no accent. Mark, no, so there's Met. no accent. It's just Met. Or Mete. Mete or something. Mete. But she is such a good actor. Like in this movie where, honestly, you don't need a good actor. No, but she's awesome. <laughs> could, she's just so like but perfectly she's really reactive. Good in it. Everything is great that she does. She's cool. She's a really cool I chick. I mean, and, and when you look up her IMDb, like, it really reads like, you know, a prolific character actor between the uh, the late 70s and the mid-90s. Like, she's in movies you've heard of. Crocodile Dundee, Terms of Endearment. Well, Mate One, the great John Sayles, you know? Yeah. Passion Fish, Babysitter's Club. <laughs> it's it's one, of the, one of those cases of, like, well, it's funny. I said Babysitter's Club at the end because that's the point, right? Yeah. It's like once she hit a certain age that system was done with her and yeah unless your name is meryl streep or unless you're michelle pfeiffer or whatever you don't get that you know right second life well but no she's she's amazing in this movie and and she actually thought that she did it badly like she was bummed about it and everybody's like no 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 no. you're so good she did it right in like the way that like julian moore in boogie nights does does it right like it's bad but in like the good way for the right reason like it all makes sense like it's like it knows what it's doing i'm gonna use a buzzword that people like and it's Uh usually incorrect how they use it but i think it's appropriate here this movie has a certain level of camp to it and she mm-hmm. she lends part of that her rea- her broad reactions and stuff is it's a beyond reality response to things and oh yeah no her her and john glover you know at the top like the adult actors i think all three of them know exactly where they are yeah it's really cool i like this and that movie. that might be the adult director and writers being able to communicate that easier like the kids don't have much of a reference point i don't know yeah like how old but i'll tell you i'll tell you seriously joshua john miller how old is joshua john miller ever every time we see him he's a kid but he's always playing a 39 year old kid you know what i mean yeah he's always like this guy who's like yeah i know what's up you know he's just a child but yeah he knows what's up (laughs) so mike delaney do you suggest to people to watch this film that's the weirdest yeah, way absolutely. I put this. Yes, absolutely. 86 minutes. You could, I, I don't know, you could, for 86 minutes, you could spend, you could spend $97 going out to, uh, you know, a two-course French meal, okay? Or, for free, on YouTube, you can watch Meet the Hollowhead, yeah. a.k.a. Life on the Edge. Just and try, try to ignore the rock and roll kids just want to have fun sort of song when they're playing splat, spin, Splats burst, whatever it's called. Just try to ignore that song, and the movie's gonna be fine, I think. You said kids, like Sidney Lauper wrote, like, girls just wanna have fun, but did a, like, kids bop where it's like, kids just wanna have fun. <laughs> well, it's kind of a it's a kind of a song that's that's kind of got that whole idea or that motif, but it's just about the kids playing their their splats, spin splat, whatever it's called. I forget what it's called, but yeah, that's uh, just that's, two boys making a gooey mess in their bedroom. I would just really need that to be cut out. That song is terrible. Ugh. Not the scene, but the song. Just get rid of that song. 
<laughs> no, I, I would wholeheartedly recommend this movie. And I think one of those boutique labels should pick this up. But you know what? The other thing is, before we get out of here, this smells like a movie where whoever owns the rights to it thinks they're sitting on something that's like far greater than like selling it to a label. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I hear these stories all the time of like, I, I contacted them. They didn't want to release it because they're holding out for a deal with HBO to make it a TV series. And it's like, they're not going to make Meet the Hollowheads a TV series. Yeah. They'd probably sell to the label and get uh, 10,000 DVDs out there so we, we can enjoy it. It's on Platinum LLC. It's on some other movie store DVD. And it's all the same crappy VHS pull. I don't get it. Like how they got distributed. It's like a public domain sort of thing. I think the movie's in the public domain. If it's in the public domain, somebody needs to rescue this thing. No, there's no there's no way it's in the public domain. Then how do they Because it's only thirty years old. Well, I know, you know? but like and, there are certain sure things they... look there are certain things that lapsed into public domain the minute they were made, like Night of the Living Dead. Right, but that but that's because of the way that they put copyrights on the, the films. Like the most famously the Stanley Donan film Charade with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn, a universal movie, like a big budget movie. They straight up didn't put the C. It's like copyright. <laughs> so the second it hit the theater and like someone noticed that, they're like, this is not copyrighted. And then like sure as shit, like it counted against them. And so it wasn't copyrighted. Well, well, Night of the Living Dead was what the latent image sold it like pretty much right away to the TV company. And then the TV company did nothing with it. So it lapsed. Yeah. But I, what, what I'm saying about this is these are people as late as 2003 when like the narrative or the memoir about like make the making of the film. Yeah. It's late as 2003. When you read that, they're like me and the director are developing another movie. Like they know what's happening with the rights to, to this one. Yeah. Like they're, I, they're I'm really, I think really it's one mad of those at crazy them. things. I'm mad at them. I want a good <laughs> version of this, and the only thing we got is this murky thing. So, anyway, yes, everybody, I say watch it. Mike D says watch it. What? better recommendation do you have than that i say watch everything though to be honest with you hey except like birth of a nation i don't like birth of a nation i'm a little bit more discerning shot on vhs stuff ain't my bag it's your bag so what? so so yeah i'm a little bit more discerning listen to me watch it listen to mike d also watch it he's just my backup right now but listen to me and him okay watch it buddy yeah or we're gonna push you over the edge <laughs> good night everybody night I'm just like, eh, right?